welcome to the 38th episode of the podcast F4. We're calling it that since it's easier to say than food and frightening film fanatics. We're on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please give us a five-star rating if you like what you're hearing. We're also on Twitter at Food and Fright. Contact us by email at foodandfright at gmail.com or check us out on our website at foodandfrighteningfilmfanatics.podbean.com. Before we get started, the usual disclaimer, uh, heavy spoilers ahead, turn back now if you haven't seen this movie. This week I wanted to review one of the lesser known horror franchises, so we're talking about Phantasm. There are five movies total in the series. I'm going to break down the movies slightly differently than usual since many of the same players were involved in most or not all of the films. And this is Don Costarelli's Baby. It started as an independent film where he did everything, photography, editing, writing, producing, you name it. So he has been heavily involved throughout the series. The first Phantasm movie was in 1979. Phantasm 2 in 1988, Phantasm 3, Lord of the Dead, 1994, Phantasm 4, Oblivion, 1998, and lastly, Phantasm Ravager, which is also known as Phantasm 5 from 2016. So Costarelli did the screenplay and also directed all five movies. The last one he shared duties with David Hartman. He also, Costarelli, produced the first, third, and fifth movie, and Robert A. Cazada did the second one, and A. Michael Baldwin, who plays Mike in the movies, was the producer of the fourth movie. Angus Grimm plays the tall man, also known as Jeremiah Morningside, in all of the movies, and as I said a second ago, A. Michael Baldwin plays Mike, the main character, one of the main characters, Mike Pearson, in all the movies except for the second film when he was played by James LaGrosse. So as you can see, there is uh, more continuity in this, fil- in this series than many, many others. Also, Bill Thornberry plays the brother Jody throughout the franchise but doesn't appear in the second movie. And then Reggie Bannister plays Reggie in all five movies. Um, Two of these movies were straight-to-home video, I think three and four, and then the musical score, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but the first Phantasm, the music was by Fred Myro and Malcolm Seagrave. The second one was by Fred Morrow and Christopher L. Stone, and it expands on the original score because they had more money from Universal. The third one is credited as Fred Morrow and Christopher L. Stone again because they had a much lower budget and they tried to save money by reusing uh, the same music. The fourth one is by Christopher L. Stone and also the fifth one is by Christopher L. Stone. So that's the basic setup of the movies. Uh, Where can you watch these movies? Uh, The entire franchise is on Shudder except for the second movie, and then that's available on Amazon Prime for $4 or Vudu for $3 or iTunes for $5. And then if you don't have Shudder, you know, you can watch it in all those normal places. So Rotten Tomatoes scores. Phantasm, the first one, critics gave it a 73. Audiences gave it a 67. Phantasm 2, 
Critics gave it a 38. Audiences gave it a 57. Phantasm 3. Critics gave it a 40. Audiences gave it a 41. Phantasm 4. Critics gave it a 25. Audiences gave it a 40. Phantasm 5. Critics gave it a 57. Audiences gave it a 30. So in terms of what critics like the best, they like the first Phantasm the most and the least favorite was for them was Phantasm 4. In terms of audiences, the most favorite is Phantasm 1 and the least favorite is Phantasm 5. On to the plot. Now, the timeline of Phantasm is different from most other franchises in that each movie starts right after the previous one finished. So it could be considered one very long movie. Um, and also, you're never sure what's real and what's not. There are a number of fake-out deaths at like the end of the one movie, but then will be um, um, resolved in the next movie. So, Phantasm, 1979. The basic plot is Jody, who I said is played by Bill Thornbury, and ice cream truck vendor driver Reggie, played by Reggie Bannister, attend the funeral of a friend named Tommy. Uh, Jody's younger brother, Mike, played by A. Michael Baldwin, is hiding in the bushes of the cemetery after hours. He's following his brother around, and he sees something strange when the funeral director, later known as the Tall Man, played by Angus Grimm, puts the ta casket back in the hearse single-handedly. So instead of burying the casket, he picks it up with one arm and sticks it back in the hearse and drives away. And then all sorts of craziness starts. Um, there are flying death orbs that drill into people's heads. Uh, there are cloaked dwarfs that look like Jawa from Star Wars. And by the end of the movie, it seems that the tall man is compressing the dead into pocket-sized workers and shipping them to his planet to be used as slave labor. So like I said, this movie is strange. So that's what we know at the end of the first movie. Then the second movie, Phantasm Two, um, basically is a road trip movie. So Mike, played by a different actor, as we said, is all grown up and has been released from a mental hospital, and he tries to tell Reggie that the tall man is real, but Reggie doesn't believe him, until the tall man blows up Reggie's house and kills his entire family. So the two of them go on a cross-country road trip in search of the tall man, and everywhere they go, they see small towns decimated. Um, all the people are gone, and everything's in ruins. And we also meet a fellow ex-patient named Liz Reynolds along the way. She has a psychic connection with Mike, um, and is also his love interest. For some reason, they added a love interest here. In the end, um, it's still just Mike and Reggie again. And they think they have killed the tall man, but nope. Um, <coughs> instead, after the, the one that they know is the tall man dies, another one just appears from another dimension to continue his work. So this is going to be a lot harder than they originally thought. Phantasm Three: Lord of the Dead... This time, A. Michael Baldwin is back as Mike, and at the beginning of the movie, he's captured by the tall man. So Reggie goes in search of him and teams up with a kid named Tim and a woman named Rocky. 
and an orb with Jody's essence inside it helps them. At the end of the first movie, it seemed that Jody had died in a car accident. Um, and we'll talk about more of that a little bit later. But an orb um, with Jody's essence inside helps them. And then we learn that the orbs are called sentinels. This is the first time they're referred to as that. And each one apparently has a dwarf-sized brain in it. And some now come with eyeballs. I'll go over the different types of uh, spheres um, at the end here. But some of them have eyeballs on them for seeing. Uh, some of them have laser beams. Some of them are the traditional two-pronged ones with a drill in the middle that drill into people's head. And then uh, blood gushes out the other end of them if they hit someone in the head. So... That in three, that's where that's what we learn. And then in the end of three, it looks like Mark Mike is turned into one of these creatures, since now he has yellow blood and dark glowing eyes. And as Reggie, Rocky, and Tim are saying their goodbyes, Reggie says it's over, and the tall man appears and says it's never over, and sucks Tim through a mirror. And this is the same way that the first movie ended, but this time it's with the character Tim instead of Mike. So that's the end of the third movie. Then the fourth movie expands on the multiple dimensions and time travel. It also includes several cutscenes from one that are used as flashbacks. Uh, the tall man is still set on making Mike his predecessor, and... Um, no, sorry, his successor, not predecessor. And Mike tries to kill himself, but the tall man won't let him die. Mike now has a sphere in his head and has psychic abilities. So the Jody Ball shows up on occasion. Um, and Reggie meets a woman who has spheres for boobs. Yes, I know that's very, very strange. Um... And then Mike travels back to Civil War times in the 1860s and meets Jebediah Morningside, who had created his own time portal and would be later called the Tall Man. And in this version of history, he seems much nicer than, the, than his later self. So we sort of know how the time portals came into existence. Uh, his looks slightly different. Um... Phantasm 5, also called Phantasm Ravager. This has a very interesting plot twist in it in that Reggie is in a uh, facility and suffering from dementia, and Mike visits him there. Meanwhile, Reggie, some version of a Reggie, battles the tall man in another storyline. So the tall man offers to give Reggie back his family if he leaves him alone, but Reggie wants Mike and Jody back instead. We see a world that is completely devastated by the tall man. There are spheres everywhere, including giant ones in the sky. And the sky is red. There's little dwarfs running around everywhere. And Mike and company... Um, Mike and company rescue Reggie from the tall man. And he says that um, Reggie has been on ice for 10 years. So they continue to battle on and... In the end, 
Reggie is rescued by Mike and Jody, and they drive away in their car, which is what this 1971 Barracuda, and they plan to head somewhere north because the tall man hates cold. But I don't really know why they're bothering because, um, as we've learned it by this point, there are so many different versions of the tall man, it doesn't matter, and they haven't been able to kill him. So anyway, the tall man says at some point there are tens of thousands of him in alternate dimensions. And then make sure when you watch this movie that you stay for the post credit scenes because the character of Chunk that had um, that was in, introduced in 5, he somehow managed surviving, blowing up the tall man, and then he goes to another portal, and then he uh, meets Rocky there, so Rocky returns from the third movie, and then they are picked up by Jody, Mike, and Reggie, and then they all drive off together to fight another day. Now, I know that's convoluted, but uh, I'll go over, like, the different uh, main thoughts on what's really going on here a little bit later. Next up, trivia. But before that, let's um, hear the theme song to Phantasm 1. Phantasm has uh, one of the great horror theme songs in it. And here it is.
So that was the theme to the first Phantasm. Now on to trivia. So we'll do a little bit of general trivia first before we do each movie because there's quite a bit of trivia. So the franchise um, definitely has a cult following and fans are known as fans, which is P-H-A-N-S. So you'll see lots of things that instead of an F have a P-H in this franchise. There are a series of novels and comic books that were produced to, um, based on the movies. And the original story idea, no surprise, came from Don Costarelli in a dream that he had. There are several different projects that never came to fruition. Uh, Roger Averys, who had won an Oscar for co-writing Pulp Fiction, and, also, and a, he's, run, he's written a lot of other things. But he wrote a screenplay called Phantasm 1999 AD as a follow-up to Phantasm 3. And it was set in a post-apocalyptic future and was to star Bruce Campbell, who we talked about during the Evil Dead franchise. The budget on that was somewhere around $10 million and they could never get enough money to start that. Also, Costarelli had written something else called Phantasm 2012 AD based on that, but that never came to fruition either. A couple of favorite quotes. Reggie, as I said earlier, says it's all over, and the tall man says it's never over. And the tall man says to Mike, you play a good game, boy, but the game is over, and now you must die. The first Phantasm had a budget of $300,000 and made $12 million, so it did very well. Don Costarelli rented all of the film equipment on Friday so he could use it during the weekends before returning it. Because like I said, this really was an independent film. And Costarelli did several movies before and after Phantasm, but none of them really caught on. And so he was kind of uh, um, pigeonholed into the Phantasm franchise. Uh, the film was shot around Oakland and L.A., the Morningside Cemetery and Mansion are actually the, let's see if I pronounce this right, Drunsmer Heller Estate in Oakland, and the gate to the cemetery is the entrance to the estate. Angus Scrim is actually six foot four, and they put him in smaller suits and boots with lifts. This gave him another three inches, and they also shot him so that he looked much taller, even though six foot four is not short. The title Phantasm came from the writings of Edgar Allan Poe. And the stone-looking mausoleum interior that they were in is actually plywood covered with marble-looking contact paper. As I said, this uh, they went way low budget because they didn't have any money. The mansion used for the exterior shots has been used in the movies Burnt Offering from 1976 and A View to a Kill 1985. Check out the remastered original. It was restored by Bad Robot, which is J.J. Abrams' company, and, and Costarelli, and it is available on Shudder. So I watched that one. I think they did a really good job. The first film's original runtime was three-plus hours, uh, but obviously that was too long, so Don chopped it way down, and some of the original footage, which we'll talk about in a second, was used in Phantasm Four. Don Costarelli and Rod, um, Reggie Bannister's parents 
were extras in the funeral scene. And Don's mother, Kate Costarelli, also worked on the show. She did production design and costume design under the aliases S. Tyler and Shirley May. The dwarfs, who look like Jawas, are played by children. And the title was changed in Australia to The Never Dead because there was already a show called World of Sexual Fantasy, which was known as Phantasm. So that name was already taken. In Turkish, the title is Maniac, M-A-N-Y-A-K, which translates to Psycho. I don't know why they changed it, but I don't know what they call the Psycho movie if they call this Psycho. For Spanish distribution, they added an A at the end, so it's Fantasma, which means ghost. And in Italian, it is Fantasmi, with an I at the end, which also means ghost. Entertainment Weekly ranked this the 17th scariest movie of all time. A body double, um, Laura Mann, was used during the uh, graveyard scene since Kathy Lester did not want to appear topless. A. Michael Baldwin learned how to drive a car during this filming. He was uh, 14 years old when the series started, and as I said, it's a 1971 Plymouth Barracuda, uh, which was disguised to look like a Hemi. The original film had an X rating in part to the one scene with a sphere that hits a guy in the head. Now, when I was young, I remember what I remember about this movie. It was a spheres and the tall man, but I would have sworn there was more than one sphere scene, but there actually is only one. So Don Costarelli was able to talk to his friend Charles Champlin, who was L.A. film critic, and he talked to the review board, and they were able to get the show down to an R because obviously uh, they would have missed off on a lot of audience if they had an X rating. The body count in this movie is five, which is not really that big when you think about it. So Mike and Jody's parents, their friend Tommy, the mortuary, janitor, who's the guy that got hit with the sphere, and Jody. On to Phantasm 2. It had a budget of $3 million from Universal. Obviously, that's much bigger than the $300,000 they had the first time, even though this was the lowest budget of any Universal films. Um, it was the highest budget for any of the five Phantasm movies. So they spent $3 million and they ended up with a box office of $7.3 million. But as you know, there always comes con with conditions and Universal exerted a great deal of control over the production and he wouldn't let Cost they wouldn't let Costarelli do what they wanted to. So he couldn't include any dream sequences he wanted to bring back Mike and Reggie. They wouldn't let him, so he they did a compromise, and he had to re-audition both of them. But after he did, they would only let him keep one person, and he kept Reggie Bannister, and that's why Mike was replaced by James LaGrosse in the second movie. Uh, Mike Pitt also auditioned for the role of Mike. The sequence involving the house exploding was done by the production company buying a house that was in a highway's path for $500, and they added a second floor and then blew it up, and everyone exiting the house was filmed with six cameras, and of course it was only shot once because they only had money for one explosion. So that's a pretty good explosion. 
Reggie Bannister did his own stunt work except for a scene where he jumps over a chainsaw. If you look at the name on an urn that the mortician is pulverizing in the mausoleum, you'll see it says Mr. Sam Raimi. He, of course, is director of the Evil Dead series, Spider-Man, Darkman, a bunch of other stuff. Uh, also from Universal, and he was good friends with Don. Lori Loughlin played young Mike at the beginning of the scenes because she was shot from behind. And Reggie Bannister had quit acting between the two movies and for a time worked at a funeral home and assisted in embalmings. Universal greenlit the second movie in part because one of the execs was Don Costarelli's attorney. And the second movie is the first appearance of the Gold Sphere, which shoots laser beams. It was referred to by the cast and crew as the Rambo Sphere. Okay, before we talk about Phantasm 3, I'd like to play another um, song for you. And these are the closing credits to Phantasm 2.
So on to Phantasm 3. It had a budget of $2.5 million and had a box office, I think, of $358,000. So they didn't even break even. Uh, the film was shot in 45 days. Most of the shooting was done at night. And then the interiors were done at a real mausoleum named Angelus Abbey Mausoleum in Compton. Here, the dwarfs are referred to as lurkers, and again, the spheres are referred to as sentinels. The character of Rocky, played by Gloria Lynn Henry, is the only female character in the franchise to escape the clutches of the tall man. This movie marks the first time digital effects were used, mainly for the orbs. And an alternate ending had Reggie and Tim traveling to California and burying the tall man's sphere in the ice. It was not used. Phantasm Four had a budget of $650,000, and I didn't see where the box office was listed. Um, in the original script... Tim was supposed to be eaten by dwarfs, but they didn't have enough money for that scene, so they didn't do that. And then Don Costarelli's son, Andy, as well as fans, Roger Avery, who we talked about earlier, who had also written the script, and Todd Mecklum had cameos in the Civil War flashback. The dwarf that gets shot in the face with a gun by Reggie was played by a very young Wendy Costarelli, who is Don Costarelli's daughter. And several different endings were shot for Phantasm IV. Don Costarelli originally offered the part of Jennifer to A. Michael Baldwin's wife, Jennifer Bross, but she declined. Heidi Marnhout was cast instead, but Jennifer Bross did provide the crackling, the crackling voice of the fortune teller. And once again... The entire crew was forced to spend several nights working in the cold, clammy, real mausoleum of Angelus Abbey. And this is the only movie in the Phantasm series not to end with a character, well, up to that point, not to end with a character being pulled through a glass mirror. The old woman sitting in the rocking chair outside Jebediah Morningside's house is the same one who appeared to Mike while he was driving the hearse, and she's supposed to be the original fortune teller from the first Phantasm movie. Remember her? She was originally played by Mary Ellen Shaw, and in this movie, the character was played by an uncredited unknown actress. So we thought uh, we would never see her again, so they went, she came back around. Don Costarelli originally wanted to call this installment Phantasm Forever, and Forever was spelled P-H-O-R-E-V-E-R, but ultimately rejected that because the title he thought was too cute. Reggie Bannister's future wife, Gigi Bannister, worked on the production with the special effects team. And the movie's working title was Phantasm IV Infinity, but it was changed to Phantasm IV Oblivion during post-production. Okay, let's see. Phantasm Five. The budget and box office are not listed. The Lady in Lavender appears in Phantasm One and Five. Um, 
According to the book Phantasm Exhumed, filming on Phantasm Ravenger first began in late 2008 when it was originally envisioned as a spin-off web series about Reggie. And the webisode, webisode footage was eventually expanded upon with new footage that featured appearances by main cast members to make it a feature-length movie. A mock-up DVD with the title Phantasm Ravenger appears next to a television in Don Costarelli's earlier film from 2012, John Dies in the, at the End. With no prior production news, Phantasm Ravenger was announced to the world as a completed project on March 26, 2014, and a teaser trailer was released the next day. So that kind of came out of nowhere. The hospital bed scene alongside Reggie Bannister was the last scene Angus Grimm filmed as the character of the tall man, and that makes it very poignant because he, he passed away. Um, he passed away after filming was done, but before the movie was released. According to Don Costarelli, Angus Grimm and Reggie Bannister got into a heated debate over their respective characters' dialogue for the white room sequence when they seem to be in a dimension that's just a white room and they're talking to each other. This is the only Phantasm film not directed by Don Costarelli. And it's also the shortest of all the Phantasm films. Um, let's see. This is the only Phantasm film to have a mid-credits scene. The end-credits montage uh, shows scenes that were cut from the final film. And Reg Reggie's occupation in the first film was an ice cream man, and coincidentally, a real ice cream truck would often drive by the set with his music playing, forcing the production team to stop and wait for it to pass. So that's kind of funny. The Plymouth Barracuda featured in this film is not the same car featured in Phantasm IV. The car was a convertible, whereas the one in Ravager is a hardtop, which is the same as the original from the first film. The song Reggie plays on his guitar while creating a song for Don is the same tune he and Jody played together in the original Phantasm during their jam session. Several years after the movie's release, actor Bill Thornberry finished the song which is sitting here at midnight. Oh, and Reggie is a musician in real life and has released several albums. Several ideas seen in this film were recycled from previous unproduced script for a fifth phantasm. This included the tall man unleashing a disease on the population and the main characters traveling to the tall man's homeworld. Now, why should you watch these movies? Well... This is a strange franchise, it's true, but they have gone a long way with a little bit of money and definitely developed a cult following. Also, because Don Costarelli was involved in all of the movies, this is the one of the most cohesive horror franchises. And it's amazing what a guy with a dream and um, some persistence can do. He reminds me of a young George A. Romero or Sam Raimi when they were just getting started with their franchises. Also, Angus Scrim is right up there as one of the top villains in horror. He is truly frightening. Uh, he doesn't say much, except in the beginning he yells the occasional, Boy! 
but he can do more with slow walking and an eyebrow arch than most people can do with lots of dialogue. He sadly passed away, as I said, um, before the fifth film was released. He died at the age of 89, and um, from what I've read, he was very popular uh, attending the cons and was very kind to fans, and people really, really liked him. So he has left a lasting legacy uh, because he was much loved by the fans, and apparently he was the opposite of his character, um, in the films. And did you know his real name was Rory Guy? So go figure. Also, another reason to watch this movie, as I said, is the music. We played two clips. Um, it's one of the really good horror um, theme songs and also sounds very goblinish. Um, and Don Costarelli said he had used Suspiria as one of his motivations. So it does remind me of Goblin and Suspiria. Um, before we talk about the recipe, I just want to go over the spheres real quick. So there are a number of different spheres. So hopefully I got all of them. There's just the regular silver ones that we first see that have two prongs, have a drill in the middle, like I said, they attach somebody's head, and then blood goes shooting out the back of the orb. So there's that one. Then there's the gold sphere that has a laser beam in it. Then there is the gold sphere that the tall man has in his head because when they trap him in a freezer, that's what shoots out the window is a gold sphere. Then there's a gold sphere that's inserted in Mike's head. And then there's also a silver sphere that has like an eyeball on the end of it. And that, uh, I guess, is used for seeing whatever. And then when Jody appears, he has a darker sphere, like a, a black sphere. So hopefully I got all the spheres. Let's see. Before we conclude, let's talk about recipe. So in honor of Reggie, the ice cream truck vendor, we have a recipe for ice cream today. It's listed by the New York Times a recipe by Melissa Clark called The Only Ice Cream Recipe You'll Ever Need. And there's also a YouTube video with her showing how to do it. I will include in the notes um, the link to the info. But basically what you're doing is creating a base for the ice cream and then you can add different flavors. So you need two cups heavy cream, one cup whole milk, uh, two-thirds cup sugar, one eighth teaspoon of fine sea salt, so just a little bit, six large egg yolks, and then you can add whatever flavors you want. Um, and then so you're going to whip all of that together, and then you're going to throw it in the uh, ice. Oh, so you're going to whip that. Well, let me just read it real quick. So step one in a small pot, simmer heavy cream, milk, sugar, and salt until sugar completely dissolves after five minutes. Remove pot from heat. In separate bowl, whisk yolks, uh, whisking constantly, slowly whisk about a third of the hot cream into the yolks and then whisk the yolk mixture back into the pot with the cream. Return pot to medium, low boil, gently cook until mixture is thick enough to coat the back of a spoon. Step two, strain through a fine mesh sieve into a bowl. Cool mixture to room temperature, cover and chill for four hours, churn into an ice cream machine according to the manufacturer's instructions. So you're going to need an ice cream machine. 
and then serve directly from the machine or soft serve or store in the freezer. So that's the basics of it. And then she has a whole list of different ingredients that you can add to it. Um, but check that out. That looks pretty good. And let's see. In conclusion, I know these movies aren't for everybody. Um, if you want to watch a series that spoon feeds you all the answers and ties everything up in a nice bow at the end, this is definitely not the series for you. Uh, diehard fans who have watched the five movies over and over again still don't necessarily know what's going on. So, um, this series is more about the journey and the relationship between the characters and the creativity of the team that put it together and the dream states and, you know, just trying to think about what's going on. So, I think there are probably four main ideas as to what's happening here. The most common theories are, number one, it's all a dream by Mike, per what was said at the end of the first movie. Or two, it's all a dream by Reggie, per the last movie, when he had dementia. Or three, our characters are jumping between dimensions, and that started in the third movie. Or the last theory there are multiples of the same characters in different dimensions acting independently per what Mike suggested in the last movie. And this would explain how Jody is back in the final movie, if it's Jody in a different dimension. So, who knows? I don't really care. I just enjoyed the movies. I enjoyed all four of them. I mean, all five of them. As to which movie is best, I can't really say. Some people like two the most, and of course they spent the most money on that. Some like one the most because it's the introduction to the characters. Some like four the most because it uh, talks about time travel. Um, I really like five also. I like to see the dystopian world and where they ended up. And um, the story of Reggie having dementia and Jody and Mike being there with him, I thought that was, that was uh, very powerful, especially after being with this franchise for that long. So... That's what I know about, the phantas about Phantasm. Please let me know your thoughts. Um, like I said, it's one of the lesser-known horror franchises and also one of the wildest horror franchises in terms of the story. So that's it for this week. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, if you encounter the tall man, you should run quickly away because there's probably a sphere nearby with your name on it. Have a great week.